I'm Danica Juarez. And I'm Jan James. And this is How's It Hold Up? Hi, I'm Danica. And I'm Jan. And I'm Valerie. And today we watched another Don Bluth film. This one was Rockadoodle from 1991. I will do the brief spoiler-free plot synopsis of this movie. Basically, it's about a rooster named Chanticleer, who uh, is kind of the big the big uh, man around the farm. He crows, the sun comes up, but one, one night he gets into a fight that's instigated by a meanie, and uh, then the sun comes up without him crowing, and he feels dejected and like he's useless, and so he leaves. And then, oh, all this is in a storybook that's being told to this young a uh, human boy named Edmund in a live action world. His, uh, all of this animated stuff was happening in this book. Uh, his mom is, tell- is telling him the story, but then she has to stop telling the story because a big storm is starting to rage outside and she needs to go help with that. Um, so then Edmund is the only one left behind. Um, his mother, father, and two older brothers go outside to try to help with the storm situation. They are also on a farm, so they've got animals they're trying to get to safety and stuff, too. Um, but Edmund is like, uh, if Sean Eclair were here, he could crow and the sun would come up and this wouldn't be a problem anymore or whatever. So he like opens up his window in the middle of the storm and starts shouting for Chanticleer and then some lightning hits and uh, the uh, tree falls into his window and then on the tree we get the 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 grand duke the the mean owl antagonist guy and he comes and he breathes his spooky magic breath to turn Edmund into a cartoon cat. And then he's going to eat him, but the dog, who can't tie his shoes, Patu, runs in, uh, giving Edmund enough time to get to a flashlight and flash it on the Duke. And the owls don't like light, so as soon as they're hit with that, they're gone, so, you know. But, you know, now the whole world around Edmund has gotten turned into animated stuff. And a bunch of critters come in because they're trying to get away from, from the rain and the water and the flooding and everything. And so... Uh, Edmund and Patu and uh, a couple of others have got to get together and go on a mission to head to the big city, which is where Shauna Claire has gone, to find him and convince him to come back to the farm. Um, and that's what most of the movie is about, is them going to trying to get him. He's uh, basically a stand-in for Elvis in the city. He's a, he's a big name in rock and roll and stuff. There's other characters like his manager, Pinky, who really wants to keep him there because he's making him a bunch of money. And uh, Goldie, who is also someone that works for Pinky and is uh, brought in on a, on, on a scheme of trying to keep Shauna Claire there. But she is lied to and told that the people trying to make him leave are bad or whatever. Uh, oh, and, and lastly, we also have uh, the Duke's nephew, um, Hunch, who is also sent to try to stop these guys from getting Chanticleer. Um, and yeah, that's basically the movie is trying to get Chanticleer to come back so he can crow or and let the sun come back and fix everything. Mm-hmm. What did we think of this movie? It was cute. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't remember it. <laughs> but, you remembered uh, it vaguely I, yeah, that yeah. I, that I watched it. Correct. And I remember the names, uh, 
they started coming, you know, coming back to me. I mean, primarily, especially Chanticleer and then even the Duke. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, overall, I enjoyed it. I recall watching this when I was young, but what I recalled was maybe like some of the first song, I the ending. Yeah, that's visually what I remember with Edmund specifically and, and kind of a big moment with him. Yeah, I think also maybe the the some of the spookiness with the Duke as well. But um the I think it was a shame that they didn't let the best part, the music, actually stand on its own. And so that really, I think, hindered the film. So overall, there was some good parts, but I think it really handicapped itself there. Yeah, I loved this film as a child, and I I do still love this movie, even though I don't think it's actually very good. Um, I think it's a lot worse than it needs to be because of some really cowardly um, narration strewn throughout on top of the music I'd like to hear that's basically just telling me things that either the scene itself is telling me or like the next scene will tell me like stuff I do not need to know. But I think even without that narration, this was never going to be like a great film, you know, it's um, it's very, the pieces are kind of there, but they're not really put together in a way that like gives satisfying character arcs or anything. I think it's very entertaining to watch and I will watch it again in the future because I have such a soft spot for it, but it's not a masterpiece, you know? Agreed. Uh, but I do recommend it because I need everyone to see this stupid, stupid and movie. And it has great music. That's, yeah, that's I wish I could hear me. more of it yeah. is the thing, is that I wish I could hear more of that music. Let's get specific. So this film is loosely based on Edmund Rostand's 1910 comedy play Chanticleer. The film was released to generally negative reviews from film critics. It grossed $11 million on a budget of $18 million, making it a box office bomb. Plans for an animated version of the Chanticleer tale actually date back as far as the early years of the Disney Studios, where several of its artists were interested in combining elements of the story with those about an anthropomorphic fox named Reynard. Though character designs by Mark Davis survive, Walt Disney personally rejected the pitch in 1961, eventually passing on the project in favor of The Sword in the Stone. Eleven years later, Don Bluth, himself a former Disney animator, had begun pre-production on an, a fully animated film based on Chanticleer in 1982, before the release of The Secret of Nim. In 1985, the film was mentioned as being in development limbo. Three years later, as a response to the success of the groundbreaking live-action animated film Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Bluth ultimately revived his proposal, intending to tell the rooster's story through live-action and animation. So, yeah, let's talk some about the story and characters and what we think. Edmund, the little boy, I really did like. I also liked his little voice and which, you know, that they carried through with the animation. Just a really cute little voice. And he's played by Toby Scott Granger, which is this is his first film role. He There's not a link on his name on Wikipedia, so I don't know what other film roles he have has. I didn't look at IMDb, but this is his first film role. 
Yeah, yeah. But anyway, he was a very cute little boy, uh, and um, I, I think Agreed. he did a nice little, nice job. Um, very good overall. Little smooth, little acting. You kind of believed him, and then I think he's. It, okay. I think he's overall better as a voice actor than as as a live actor. I agree. Like, I he's agree. A, he's yeah. a perfectly fine little kid actor, but like, you know, it's not like he's doing a lot of face stuff that's really believable in any way. But then when he's animated, they can make his face look exactly like what they want. So. Yes. And I agree. I definitely. Yeah. Um, and then whoever played the Duke. Christopher Plummer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Christopher Plummer. No wonder it was so good. Impeccable work. Yes. Yes. Just. Great, great voice, great evil, evil tone. I I think personally that the Duke fits right in with this era of like great Disney villains and stuff. He's he's just fun. He's just mm-hmm. fun to watch and to listen to. He's got the whole really clear queer coding going <laughs> on with him that also a lot of the '90s Disney villains do. Like. He's very enjoyable, and a, a big part of that is certainly Christopher Plummer's voice acting. And one thing that made it just so enjoyable to me is he was a very formidable and very intimidating villain, but he was not just blatantly, like, evil as far as, oh, what am I, oh, what I'm trying to say, just like, it was more in what he would say, and and what really got me was he would speak in a very in a very educated but very civilized tone about the horrible things he was about to do to you, and so that's what made it even more diabolical. And it, feel, it feels like he has a sense of humor about yeah, himself yeah, to an but, extent too, which is interesting. Like it feels like he's kind of not taking things super seriously a lot of the time until he is upset. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And then again, like when he was just about to, you know, devour Edmund, um, you know, again, just describing what he's going to do. And I'm going to turn you into a kitten because you'll be easier to digest. And, you know, just anyway, but he would just say it so menacingly, but not more polite than menace. It's almost like part of the menace is the nonchalance, I think. Yes, yes. Yeah, he says lots of things very nonchalantly that are objectively like kind of horrible things. Yes, like, I'm yes. going to devour you. Like, that's what's going to happen now, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh also with the duke, his interactions with his nephew and like the he's like, "Oh, come here like to get him closer, but in a like nice way, but you know that that the the nephew messed up and he's like something's bad is gonna happen if he does but yeah it's like poisoned sweetness yes yes mm-hmm. but the nephew like wants to uh to make his uncle proud or like show how he did a good thing even though what he did wasn't and and he knows he uh the uncle knows that he messes up because he's like okay how did you do it how are they dead and he's like an adequate pipe and he's like Okay, like, explain to me more. (laughs) (laughs) Give me more details, please, on the pipe. (laughs) Yeah, and then he realizes what happened and how it's actually very bad what he did. Uh, So he's, and I think that works really well with the story where we don't get, like, he doesn't get undermined because the nephew fails. It's the nephew's uh, mistakes. So the Duke gets to maintain his very, like, scary, uh, capable aura rather than if the duke were get running after them and messing up then he would uh slowly lose that yeah yeah mm. like the the duke and his his owl buddies are basically like 
these terrifying monsters just waiting for the opportunity to eat these animals. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. there's just, like, this ticking clock, and they're only held at bay by the light. And and it's, yeah, like, it's intimidating because it doesn't feel like they're being outsmarted or out or outclassed. It's just there's this one thing that's their weakness that's barely holding them at bay, and once that's gone, you're doomed. Like, yeah. what are you going to do after that? Nothing. Right, because that one thing that's their weakness, they already took care of by getting Chanticleer out. Yeah, they took care of the main thing. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, a couple of times, like, what uh, the Duke was doing is sometimes he was on the roof, but sometimes he was at his house. So uh, when he's introduced more fully, he's at his house with this cool organ uh, or his tree but then his treehouse. Yes. Uh, so, uh, in a, in a bit, it might beg the question of like why he's staying in that area versus going after them. But I think it it, it works out okay. Yeah, you, you kind of get this like, oh, the batteries are almost gone, so I'm going to be around. Uh, you got some more batteries in. Wasn't my chance. I'm going to go back to the tree for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> But I think because I, I assume that the tree is not that hard for him to get to. Like, I assume it's not that far. So he's just kind of like, all right, well, I got to wait. It's going to take at least an hour or two or whatever for those batteries to drain to where it's really viable. I'm just going to go. Mm-hmm. I think you make a really good point, um, Valerie, though, too. If if he had been the one pursuing them and kept failing, that would have taken away from his menace. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think that was a, a wise choice. Giving that to Hunch, who's just... Completely inept all the time. Mm-hmm. But, and then you alluded to the organ, or you mentioned the organ. That was so amazing. And I know we'll get into songs more, but it just, not only did it look really good visually, but then the sound and then with the singing was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, organs are really, like, good things to give to villains. And mm-hmm. I actually watched a video at one point, like, that talked about why... They so often are, and I can't remember all the points, but part of it is that it's a very complicated instrument to play. And so that that's a way, uh, kind of like glasses can be used to signify intelligence. An organ can be used to kind of signify like a mastermind villain sort of thing, mm. you know? Um, and yeah, it, it fits him. So he was he was such a good villain. And, and his... Even though his sidekicks, or what I'm trying to say, his his um, other owls, you know, we didn't know much about them. But I just love the kind of echoing of what he. They're would just say. like a supportive Greek yes. chorus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. just like, oh, I'm so annoyed about this, and they're like, it's okay, man, you'll get it. Like, but in song, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and then Glenn Campbell did an incredible job as Chanticleer. Um, not only does I had forgotten that that's who it was, and of course I grew up with with Glenn Campbell, and um, he has an incredible voice and a good personality. So it was really it was a very good uh, kind of match with that Elvis vibe, uh, as well as the country and western kind of you know vibe with some of the singing on the farm and so forth. But yeah, it was it really enjoyed it. So we've been talking a lot about some characters that we like. I'd like to talk about a character that I don't think any of us like. <laughs> yes. Which is uh, Snipes the Magpie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just like a jerk from beat one. I don't understand how he's supposed to be likable or enjoying, uh, enjoyable. He's misogynistic. He makes fun of his friend's lisp. He, when they're in a, a chest floating in water... 
has a freak out because he's claustrophobic and puts them in a more dire situation. And he like constantly doesn't want to actually pay attention to anything and just focus on his own self-interest, like eating lasagna. Like I don't, there's nothing likable about him. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. I, it would have maybe worked if he had had a turn to, to significantly help them out. But that never It never really happened. happened. Yeah, like... He was always almost a liability. Yeah, like, Peepers is constant... Like, she's constantly helping in big, significant ways. And Snipes just never has a point where he's actually useful. Yeah, even if he went to go get uh, her whenever she was... She fell off or whatever. Like, and anything positive uh, about him... Would have would have helped to just round out how annoying he was through the whole film. Yeah, like literally, and, and I'll be vague because it's in spoilers, but literally the only nice thing he ever does is like kind of give her a hug of comfort when she's upset and like some of the end stuff. And that's like, it feels unearned because he's never shown that he's a nice enough dude to do that ever. It seems like he doesn't even like her for like most of the movie. He certainly doesn't respect her because he doesn't respect women, apparently. Like... He's just a terrible character. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could even have... Uh, he's a magpie. You can have him steal something shiny that is important that he didn't do to help them, but it ends up helping them. Mm-hmm. So- something. Yeah, it's just baffling that, like, he exists throughout this whole movie and he never once does anything helpful or anything that, like, moves the plot along, the only thing that he does is make a particular situation worse by drilling holes in a thing that's underwater. Mm -hmm. Like, and otherwise, like, you could remove him from the movie and nothing would change except that that one thing would be, like, less harrowing for them. (laughs) That's it. That's just, it's just baffling that he's so unlikable and also so useless, so perfunctory to the plot. Yeah, and and if they were going for comic relief, he wasn't even funny, you know, so no. I don't know what his purpose was. I, I have to assume that he's to some degree supposed to be comic relief, but none of it works. No, no. And you've already got Hunch over here who's like in double overdrive trying to provide comic relief. So like, you've got enough, frankly. <laughs> you, dr- yeah. you don't need him. Like, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, there's... A fairly big extent to which Patu doesn't, like, manage to do a lot either. But there's just enough that he, like, helps with here and there. And, like, his overall presence of kind of, like, uh, being the kind of solid, dependable dude. And he he bites the Duke and stuff like that. Like, he does enough little things there to kind of justify his existence. But, like, we only need him and Peepers and Edmund they're the only ones that ever do anything. It's just baffling to me why Snipes is here or why he's like this. Uh, the only thing I like about him at all is that he's voiced by Eddie uh, Deason, who is Mandark from Dexter's Lab. And I like that guy. Like, I'm just like, oh, it's Mandark. <laughs> but like, he's so unlikable that that doesn't even really do anything still. Yeah, just voicing annoying characters. Yeah. It's like Mandark, it's... Dexter's lab is in on the fact that he's annoying and and he's like an antagonist to Dexter but like I'm not sure that this movie understands that Snipes is the worst I, I don't know I don't know why he's here mm. 
Patu, though, does also really get on my nerves, and that's mostly not because of anything he actually does in the movie, but because he is the narrator of the movie also, and he keeps talking over all of the songs that I'd like to hear, and it drives me crazy. He is the worst. (laughs) He just keeps talking. He keeps talking and he keeps telling me things I don't need to know. He talks over a montage to tell me about the things that I literally see happening in the montage. Uh, It's I just need him to not talk. Yeah, I don't know why they felt that that was necessary. I'll talk about it in another section. But like, goodness, it was not the the original cut of the movie did not have that. Mm. And I think it's obvious that it did not have that. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious what the intro part, because he did narrate an intro part that didn't didn't have any words. And I'm wondering what, if if that was different in the original cut, or if he was there and they extended it through. Yeah, the, unfortunately, to my knowledge, there isn't like a version of the, of that cut, like that exists, that's out in the wild. I... Because this movie did so poorly, it's unlikely it would ever be released either. Because um, I'd love for it to actually, like, then just to release a version that doesn't have that. Uh, so the only version that I've seen that doesn't have that stuff is a fan-made thing. And they just, like, cut it out anywhere it is. So it's cut out of that opening bit. And, I mean, honestly, it works fine enough without it. Um, it's I think you just have the orchestra swell a little bit more, and it's probably entertaining enough to just zoom in there. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's just it's just never needed, honestly. Yeah, I think the the intro part might have been a little confusing without it, where obviously not the part where uh, Chanticleer starts singing, but after when he's attacked, and you're like, oh, why is that? But then you get to the mom reading the book and then she explains it for you. Yeah. So it's like a if you, minute. If you wait just a little bit of time. Uh, so, so yeah. Like or, the, or the narrations like, and then the son came up without him and he felt so useless. And then 10 seconds later, all the barn animals start saying, it's coming up without him. And he's looking really sad. Like we get it. We didn't need the narration to say that. We understand. And I I guess also just because we're talking about it so heavily and might continue to talk about it. The reason for the narration is that test audiences felt confused by the storytelling of the film. So the filmmakers decided to include narration. And like, they felt that way because it's not a very well told movie. But nothing that the narration adds helps (laughs) with that aspect of it. It is a confusingly paced movie especially that opening part with the thing yeah but like the band-aid of the mom saying it does enough to like understand that like no it's just that nothing that the narration ever says is actually like new and helpful information it's always stuff that is either about to be told to you being told to you like directly with words underneath the narration or being told to you really clearly with visuals that are underneath that narration. Like it's just, you never need it. And it's like, yeah, the film might be a little confusing without it, but it's not any less confusing with it is the problem. (laughs) It doesn't clarify anything. Yeah. I think the, Again, with the beginning, when the, uh, is it a, a bad rooster fights Chanticleer, that is confusing because 
There's no indication. But like you said, narration isn't going to help that. That's just going to be like, oh, okay, this character I haven't seen yet. You need to do something else to indicate that with animation to really fix it. But they're they're not going to do that. They've already made the movie. So, okay. The other part is, I think, one part really undermined Goldie's character. Yes. When he was like... But it's fine. She's good. And it's like, that is so Like, literally in her intro scene. That is so underwhelming whenever she actually has a turn or when she asks those questions about, like, is this okay? And then she realizes, like, it, it did show you, but it told you first in a way that makes it annoying. Yeah, like, the, the narration just literally is like... Uh, she'll basically end up being good, don't worry. But it's like, the film gives you everything you need to understand her arc. Like, when you first see her, she's looking grumpily at Chanticleer performing, and then she complains to her manager some. And then, like, the next significant thing is him convincing her to do a thing, and she's asking, like, questions, and you're that tells you, oh, so she's she's jealous of this guy, but she's also not just trying to mess him over you know she's not just trying to sabotage him at any turn she is like i don't know about about this and yeah. being assured no this is the right good thing to do and like like it the film gives you everything you need to understand goldie's character arc as it is there's no reason for in the very moment she's introduced narration to say don't worry she'll end up being good guys <laughs> like it's just so pointless and sabotages a character arc that is is not like one of the biggest most deep character arcs ever but is very clearly told i mean yeah it is still i think important especially compared to the other characters yeah she actually kind of moves when other characters are flat like pretty much all of them like edmund he doesn't he feels like he's not helpful and he wants to be helpful, so he gets Chanticleer. But that's not really a, a change. Like, there's no... I guess there is one point. I guess he's getting brave. So, I guess there's a little bit of that, but it was... The movement wasn't that much. Other than that, like, maybe a little bit of Chanticleer just after he gets dejected and trying to get that yes. confidence back as well. I, I definitely want to talk about it more in the spoiler section, but I definitely feel like Chanticleer's attempt at the attempt of the film to give him a sort of arc is like definitely one of the things that fails at hardest i think <laughs> like edmund's isn't that good but at least it's relatively clear but like sean declares n- no it's not and we'll talk about it in spoilers but like yeah right, because right now off the top of my head i can't even think of what that arc would be like what were they trying to accomplish with him because it pretty much he seemed the same at the beginning, you know, and the end. Um, yeah. I th- maybe that does require a bit of change at the beginning with raising him up higher. So that his fall is more. I think, I think so. I think the beginning needs like his opening song is fun, but I think we need even a little bit, just a little bit more, like, uh, of a of a scene after the song that shows, like, kind of a, a sense of pride in mm-hmm. what he does and stuff. Like, this, the song gives you it to an extent, but I think we need just a little more 
and then to have the scene where the bad guy comes in, like, show this, uh, how clearly he feels disgraced and stuff by this, you know, like, you just need a bit more to even start having a thing with him. It's just not strong enough to, like, make a lot of sense or, like, hit at all. Yeah. Well, and even, uh, to me, he was characterized overall, I mean, as, as a nice guy and yeah. not really not really prideful or boastful. And so what they didn't establish for me is how wrapped up he was in his role. You know, I, I wouldn't even go so far as to say that it was necessarily tied up in his ego because even with all the fame in the city as being the king, he didn't seem super wrapped up with ego. But it was that, again, that that making a difference or, or being important or being or being the hero or being, you know, whatever, you know, however you want to put it. Yeah, you they just did not make it clear that, um, you know, why he went away because they almost made it because everyone was laughing at him. But then that really doesn't track with, I don't know, w- w- with how they portray him. Because overall, he's a fairly easygoing, nice guy who ultimately missed his friends. So, yeah. He's ultimately just not like an explained enough character to... to- track (laughs) like yeah he the overall impression you get of him is just a nice dude which isn't enough to to have this supposed arc that seems to be trying to set up like yeah i'm trying to think if there were lyrics that were was more indicative and we kind of missed what it was trying to say and i mean during that opening sequence you get some stuff like him like kind of smiling at his reflection in the water and stuff and him kind of flirting with those like ladies, but it's yeah. not enough of anything. No, again, I, I'm talking specifically the lyrics. Yeah. Like, was that a medium that they used and we didn't get it? I mean, he's just singing about sun do shine, sun do shine. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> my daddy taught me how to sing. That's why this voice means everything. Sun do shine, you better shine. Like, it's it's not yeah. a very lyrically complicated song. <laughs> yeah, because it's not even like when he left, he's not using his voice anymore because he seemed to obviously value his voice and, and that he got it from his dad, but he's using his voice when he goes to the city. So, yeah, I mean, there's I can see from an audience perspective why they were having a hard time since he's the main character. But it's like, did that narration help you understand any of it better? Not at all. Not Not at at all. all. Not at all. I need to take a moment and to quote uh, two quotes that I wrote down that I enjoy. One was, Jeepers, I'm a furry! Which is just a funny thing. It's funnier (laughs) now than it was then. um, And I have seen pictures of that with the text on social media sites. So it's just funny. Uh, And then I love the, if I kill my nephew, would that be murder or charity? Yes, yes. Great, great line. And also like, it's not just the line. It's also like the fact that he puts him in a pot, closes the lid and is like leaning on it and just speculating to himself. Yes. It's all very good. Yes. Um, I like that uh, when... Pinky sent the bouncers to go stop them from giving their their message to Chanticleer. He was like, you gotta put costumes on, though. You can't, like, spoil the theming of the song that he's performing. <laughs> yeah. Just a cute little detail. Yeah, that that tracks. Yeah. Um, and then, honestly, I, f- I find the all of the stuff with them being tied up and accosted by hunch and then escaping and hitting Chanticleer and then the huge chase scene and everything and and the helicopter and just all of that 
I really enjoy all of that. Like, that was the point where I was the most engaged in the movie. And I was pretty engaged for most of it because I love this stupid movie. But I really enjoy that stuff. I think it's all, like, paced really well. The animation's really dynamic and this sense of urgency and motion. And it just all hits really well for me in that that whole section. Yeah, it's funny. At one point is, you know, I felt sorry for Chanticleer's character because he's unconscious for just all of that. He really and, is. And he's just being dragged around, you know? <laughs> Which, honestly, I do, I do enjoy comedic humor that is, like, someone being unconscious and dragged around and, like, hurt more while they're unconscious. Yes, yeah. That I, that, that I do and. That amuses me. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Do you guys want to talk a little bit more about uh, voice acting? I know we've already talked about some, but yeah, sure. we haven't talked about Ellen Green, mm-hmm. who is uh, Goldie, and she just... Mm. Like, I think I would love Goldie even without Ellen Green, because she's... The way that she's animated, like, her face, her face animation, I just kind of love all the time. Um, but Ellen Green, like, kind of just makes her transcendent she's so good (laughs) with just every all of every line that she delivers is great she's just so good in this role um i think pinky's also uh voiced really well that sorrel book who we actually heard recently in the boo brothers he was the the uh sheriff guy Mm -hmm. uh and he and here he i i had mentioned back then i was like there's a voice role that i think he actually did a lot better in i i enjoy him a lot in here i think he gives the perfect mix of like this country accent but also like this this sleazeball like Mm -hmm. hollywood guy you know yeah recently uh when i was traveling i was watching uh you know you watch movies at a hotel and and I forget what it's called, but it's basically the movie about Elvis and his um, manager and how controlling and mm. about the Bos Lerman one. Sure. And yeah, like you could you could see it. You could see the see what they were going for. Yeah, like like it wasn't just about Elvis. There, it was about this manager who's controlling and uh, um, exploitative and. Yeah, like they they did a good job. Yeah, I think he's he's a really good secondary antagonist. Like obviously prime antagonist is the duke. Uh I think secondary antagonist is Pinky and tertiary would be Hunch even though Hunch is in more of the movie arguably than than maybe both of them. Yeah, he's but, just so But Hunch is like so ineffective overall that like he's, you know, low on the totem pole, but Yeah, I'm just thinking back about Pinky and he's like the 60-40 split the his car he has all of the extravagant stuff is his yeah not the king's not chanticleers yeah it it was good yeah um was pinky the actor um you said that played pinky is he the one that played boss hog on dukes of hazard i don't don't know i don't know sorrel book i I don't know i'm not sure i guess i'd have to look that up but that that's the the vibe and the and the character that came to mind when i heard him which is uh was not that (laughs) I do want to make this very clear. I did not watch Dukes of Hazard, but it came on so often. You do mention the, it a lot. I know, because it would come on. It would always be advertised. And it seems like whenever, I don't know if it was before Disney came on or something, but it would always be advertised. And, and you know, and this is before you could skip commercials and all that, that you know, those nice things. And I was like, ugh. But yeah, and they would always have Boss Hog and, you know, whatever. They, and anyway, so that voice just, I'm like, is that that guy? But yeah, but it, it gave that 
icky, like you kind of saying, just, just, just He's a sleazy, sleazeball. Yeah. yeah, just sleazy, sleazy guy. You said I didn't watch Dukes of Hazard, and if we would, as if we would judge you for it. Yeah, like I don't <laughs> have any don't opinion. Don't know enough to be like, oh my god. Does the, she they, watch Dukes of they, Hazard? They got a car. Is it? I think that's where they the like. Did. I think that's where the sliding on the hood into the window yeah, or something comes yeah. from that is mimicked. That's about the extent. That's all we got. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the and I don't even remember what their names were, the, but the boys that were in. Do they the, have in a the, Confederate flag? Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe. I don't, I don't maybe. know. I really but, know nothing. But they were also in in a show that I did watch, which was called Starsky and Hutch, and they played mm. detectives. And they also had a really cool car, even yeah. though they were detectives. They would jump into and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's why they they started the, the Dukes of Hazzard thing. No, but it's probably not much better because I did watch which one of them. He also reminded me of the vibe of um, Green Acres. <laughs> Which was, you know, you know, in Beverly Hillbillies. So, you know, that's really so. It's Beverly <laughs> Hillbillies is one of the only ones I know at all, and yeah. that's because I think it was on Nick at Night. Yeah, yeah. They had Green Acres on Nick at Night too. I, I think. don't remember it, not by name. Maybe, I, maybe, maybe if I saw footage, I'd like it would unlock a, a memory deep within <laughs> memory, me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, and lastly, uh, fairly insignificant, but Stewie the Pig uh, is voiced by Will Ryan, um, mm. who's Petrie in Land Before Time. All right. Oh, okay. Wait, and who did you say was the cute little mouse? Uh, that is Sandy Duncan. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Sandy Duncan is awesome. I love Sandy Duncan. Okay. I think she does a cute little job, she too. I, li- I like she, her little lisp. I do. And she just has, <laughs> she's such a cute little character. And we ought to say, because it's not in spoilers, she was this tenacious little mouse, smartest. as She's be. the one getting stuff done. Yes. And when they have this um, this big scene in the car where, you know, and it gets disconnected and basically they are well, all even before falling. that, she's the one who disconnects it because yes. Edmund's being scaredy. Yes. And then she did. But then I'm trying to remember how they, oh, they, they climbed they up looking separate. for her. Yeah, they separate. And so they leave. But then Edmund, like, gets his courage um, with the mind scene um, and, like, turns the car around to go save her. But she basically had already saved herself. They just didn't know yet. Yeah. yeah. And, and then they. Them yes. Yeah. Because they put themselves in peril, climbing up just this really flying tall tower. a plane on her own. Yes. This big and catches them in this great, great scene. True girl and, boss. You know? Yeah. She was amazing. <laughs> The the line where uh, Snipes uh, makes fun of her lisp and she's like, "It elevates me" or it something. Does. Yes, yes. It was a good a good retort. Yes. Let's go on to animation. So originally, the story's first and last scenes were to be shot in black and white, similar to 1939's The Wizard of Oz. The film's opening, which took place at a farm, had Edmund's mother reading the book, The Story of Chanticleer, to him. Victor French, who had directed several episodes of Get Smart and Highway to Heaven, was set to direct these live-action sequences, but terminal lung cancer forced him out of production. Bluth, who had never done anything in this field, took over from this point. Mm. So all the live-action scenes are directed by Bluth, mm. who is uh, animation director with no experience directing live action. Uh, and that might be part of the reason that those scenes often feel pretty stilted and yeah. eh. Yeah. <laughs> the most eh parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Goldie, 
was designed to have attributes similar to Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but in response to reactions from mothers during test screenings of her scenes, Goldcrest requested that Sullivan Bluth reanimate the scenes by covering her chest with feathers as cell overlays or simply painting her cleavage out. So yeah, I think when we first see her, she's got the feathers covering, and that obscures it. And then in later scenes, like when she's in her trailer and stuff, there's just no boob line. They just color get rid of it. Yeah, that... I think it's it ends up fine because she's a bird. Yeah. But it contrasts with when you see the hens in the beginning of the movie where they're obvious, like, boob cleavage. Yeah, yeah. So, honestly, yeah, like, they took it out and that was better. Yeah. Why <laughs> didn't they take didn't it out of it. those? Yeah. Because it's okay to make fun of fat women. Yeah. <laughs> um, the live action and animated sequences were filmed in two separate aspect ratios. The animation was shot on an open matte full screen negative. However, the live action scenes, including all animated elements of them, were shot in hard matted widescreen. When viewed in full screen, all the animated sequences, except for parts of the finale, can be seen in full, but the live action segments lose information on the sides. Probably not anything super necessary, but also if we had them all in widescreen, maybe we would have seen that clown more. So, uh, which uh, uh, take, can take a moment to uh, point out that clown. <laughs> I am not a creepy clown person. I would not. I don't have think it's even supposed. Any of y'all's rooms. I don't think it's even supposed to be creepy, but he just has a giant like clown doll in the background of his room that. You can see a lot more than I want to see, frankly, once it was pointed out to me. Um, we were we were supposed to have a guest on this episode, but unfortunately he wasn't able to be here. But one of the notes he did uh, give me to, to mention is he also noticed the creepy clown. <laughs> <laughs> None of us like the creepy clown. No. And do you remember, like, one of my aunts made these monkey things like like it was like a monkey and it had like a big face but that even got a little creepy for you guys because it was kind of a long i mean it was this big like sock monkey that they they used to make out but at the, there came a point where y'all like mom can you take the you know can you yeah. take the number? and i looked at it i'm like that is kind of creepy so again i did not like creepy looking dolls or clowns i w- i just can't imagine having a big old creepy looking crown in my child's room just not gonna happen oh my goodness um overall though i i enjoyed the animation it's clearly i mean you know comparing it to uh the masterpiece we last saw of bluths it's obviously going to come up short in that comparison um i do not think it has either the budget or the amount of of time and talent that was on secret of nim um but overall it's very fun um i i loved that really extra zoom in to chanticleer at the beginning when we're like out on the world and then it like zooms down and through stuff to go to him starting Mm. his song yeah that was that was really fun um felt like a a fun flex i think I, i don't really have any notes about it but i feel like there was a pretty good amount of cg integration in here that i felt was pretty much I, for the most part, integrated well. Like, I, I think they mostly used it for sun, for stuff like um, Pinky's car and stuff like that that would be a little more difficult to keep the shape of with camera turns. Um, but I think it all integrated nicely. It didn't, nothing really, like, leapt out at me as feeling out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, I love some of the little details. Like, my favorite is that Edmund taps the Duke's eyeglass in the picture book once we uh, exit out of the animated stuff and the mom's telling the story and like 
There's a little sound effect, but also you can see when he removes his finger that the eyeglass is shattered. Like he physically broke that glass. Mm. And then when the Duke comes in during the storm, he's like commenting about it and being yeah. annoyed that his glass got broke. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I really like that because I think it's easy to miss that first thing. Um, but it's it's a really cute little detail. Our, our friend um, who wanted to be on here, I'm going to not use a name because I'm not 100% sure what name would be preferred but anyways um noted uh he thought that they did a a really good job with the transition from live action live action to animated in that scene with the duke uh so basically there's the storm outside um the lightning flashes and a tree breaks and then part of the branch like comes and breaks through the window and like looks like kind of gigantic claws coming down Mm -hmm. um and then the duke like kind of slowly stomps his way in or whatever and he starts talking and then when he's like i'm going to turn you into a cat and eat you or whatever then he like breathes his creepy breath stuff and it like overtakes edmund and transforms him but then it also like seeps into the environment around him and like the live action environment slowly gets like painted over with a uh drawn background and i i thought i thought it was really well done Mm -hmm. i agree i agree like uh well we'll definitely i mean well we can just talk about it the inspiration of who framed roger rabbit is so say saying that to someone who hasn't seen this movie, they're going to picture a very different thing than what the movie is. Yeah. Because the movie's mostly just an animated movie. <laughs> like, the integration of live action is so minimal, but it is done at its best in the beginning, I think, when we are in li- in, in animation, and then we zoom out of a book that has a, a gorgeous illustrated picture in it of the scene that we just left. And okay, we're like, okay, we have established that that's a story that's being told and now we're in the live action world or whatever. And then the transition of the the lightning and the tree branch coming in, transitioning into like the Duke entering and then he turns everything into the animated world, I think it's done really well. Like it's, I honestly don't need more live action than that. I think it's done great. The, I will talk about it vaguely to not talk about exactly what happens, but the live action at the end not so great. Like, the, the actual live-action scenes themselves is, like, fine, whatever. Just as fine as the ones to, in, in the beginning. Uh, but specifically, the final scene that integrates just Edmund into animated stuff, just a live-action Edmund into animated stuff, is really suffers from a comparison yes, to yes. Frank Roger Rabbit. Very problematic. Uh, the It's just not... Those two things aren't integrated well. There's like kind of like a an outline around Red uh, Edmund and stuff that's just like it just even the you, proportions you, you are just really don't bad. believe that he's actually in the scene mm-hmm. is basically the long and short of it. It doesn't do that well. Yeah, because his even his proportion in that yeah, last scene compared just like to the other animals working. is just not well. The integration it reminds me of the Page Master. Sure. Fair. Yeah. Because it's almost similar time, you know, it starts off live action, goes into the animated world. Yeah, and then it ends. is, it is a much, which Page Master, I believe, came out after, probably by a year or two. I don't, I don't they're not hugely separated. Um, but yes, no, in retrospect, it much, it is much more similar to Page Master, a thing that starts and ends with live action, but is mostly animated. 
rather than Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is just fully integrating both mediums like at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I uh, can't wait to do Roger Rabbit at some point, but not this year. But yeah, overall, I think the animation is is good. Um, I, I love the immediacy with which owls get ejected when flashlights turn on. Mm-hmm. Just like they're just like, which is like forced back so quickly that always feels fun um i love goldie's faces throughout the movie but especially when she's singing to chanticleer on the swing yeah uh, i'll i'll try to mimic them sometimes even though i can't do a cartoon but just the way that she's like singing while looking like so distraught is so funny i love it yeah i think uh I was looking for that in the first time she sung with Chanticleer, but it was it wasn't as expressive. But maybe that can be attributed to how she felt at the time where she was okay, kind of pushed into it and faking caring about him. Right, right. To when uh Patu tells us that she actually fell in love with him. Right, before it, we can tell that that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Um but but yeah, in that song on the swing, she's very expressive. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good expressions throughout. The kind of, uh, like, you know, it's 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 more on model than some Don Blue things, but certainly less always on model than Secret of Nim. Um, but, you know, that can be endearing in a way, some of the ways that expressions and stuff can, can morph the characters. And by not really having any humans, except for live-action humans in here, you don't really hit the kind of uncanny valley that Bluth stuff with humans sometimes hits. Yeah, no, I, I overall, I think the animation is is pretty great in this. It's It's not like... Bluth's best work, but I think it's far from his worst on an animation level. What did you think of Edmund's cat design? I think it's cute. I think it's the right amount of, like, grumpy little kid with with the anthro cat features. Like, I think it's cute. I think it's what I kind of most immediately compare it to in, in another Bluth film would be um, the the brother in Troll in Central Park, mm. who I think they're they seem like they're around the same age and they sort of have a, a similar attitude in terms of like being kind of grumpy a decent amount. But I think the the scrunched face and stuff like that looks a lot better on a cartoon cat than on the cartoon human. You yeah, know? you know. <laughs> I also liked the um I liked the design of him better with his hat. He had like a little coonskin yeah. hat and a little shirt. And I like that better because I love otherwise that, I love that he like it's commented on that he's naked or whatever and then he like covers up his his lower parts and like seems all embarrassed and then he like shuffles off. He gets the clothes from a doll which is a hat and a shirt and then he comes out and he still doesn't have pants on <laughs> but that's just the rule of cartoons is once you got a shirt on if you're a cartoon animal you're good yeah <laughs> you're you're fully clothed even if you were worried about your lower bits being exposed that's no longer a problem once a shirt is on <laughs> And that's, I mean, in old cartoons, you'll see it too. It's like if Donald gets his shirt removed, he's going to suddenly cover up the downstairs, even though that was open the whole time. It's just really funny to me. The, the, a shirt is all that a cartoon animal needs to be fully clothed. <laughs> and and just to uh, 
just to clarify that the reason that Edmund was grumps is because he was already grumpy in the live action that he didn't get to help out on the farm, that he was too young and he, he didn't get to help his family. And he was grumps about that. He, you know, he wanted to be out there like with his brothers and whatever. And then he felt even less useful as a cat because he couldn't even help the dog you know, tie his shoes or whatever, the things that he did feel like he was capable of as a hum- human and a boy, he couldn't, he felt then that he was now made ineffectual as being a cat. So that's why, that's where his source of grumpiness came. But he did figure out how to help him with his shoes as a cat. And mm-hmm. then he, he learned how to be brave later. So. Yes. Yeah, he told him how. But uh, yeah, the the bit with the dog trying to tie his shoes is that your favorite? It was. It never yeah, does anything yeah, for me either. Yeah, I know. It went on. To me, I wish the shoes had not been. They, it got on my nerves. And least, Valerie said, yeah. just tuck the shoelaces into the I shoes. Because it doesn't seem like they're the ever shoe. in danger of falling off. Mm-mm-mm. You know? So it's like, just get put the laces away, man. Yeah. It yeah, just, it just wasn't that funny. And then it It's not that funny and, and it's not that, like, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which is definitely why Patu's, like, lower on the tier of characters, even outside of the narration, which mm-hmm. can only barely be blamed on the character. Yeah, it's... it's just, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> I don't know that there's a lot of point in talking about what a movie that purposely mixes live action and animation would be like if it weren't that (laughs) like i guess you could be like what if the beginning and end were animated and the middle's live action but like (laughs) what would be the point of that yeah oh (laughs) like i don't know how to discuss this question because Uh, i it would just be different than what the intent was and if you said what if it was just all live action then i think you would you would lose some of your best characters like i guess you go uh, into a book and it's like puffin stuff or something like characters and costumes like i don't know yeah forgetting that you made me think of a question that i wanted to ask sure or something i wanted to comment on in terms of blue's uh reliance on magic sure kind of allow for things that don't make sense but also not explaining yeah like so they did that in nim you've got an old wizard mouse or whatever rat i guess uh and here for whatever reason the owl can also breathe magic he's just got evil magic he just has evil magic (laughs) and oh i think it is important to note that all the little shapes in his magic, when he does that, weren't originally there. They were put in there to make his magic less scary to test audience children. No. I don't know how that makes anything less scary, but okay. They're like, ooh, I don't know. Okay. It's, it's silly. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I know, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know like how that changes anything, but sure. I think it does kind of obscure it. I can see how it makes it less scary, but... But yeah, like... I don't know. I guess in in this instance, it felt less explained. Either use it more or don't have it. Or, like, make it clear that the rain is because of the magic. And it's like, okay, magic owl, got it. But, I, I don't know. Yeah, because it's, it's like, it can do a lot of things. Like, we're introduced to it as being transformative. It transforms Edmund, it transforms the room, and then it transforms Hunch multiple times. But 
it can also like strangle someone apparently in spoilers, which seems like not a use that we're used to. And then the Duke transforms himself. So I guess most of it seems like it's transformation magic, but there is a particular instance that is objectively not that, that makes it a little like, what can this do? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And he, he sort of, in the end stuff before that, like, uses it to just kind of, like, push someone back. So, yeah, I I don't know. It seems mostly transformative, but there's a couple of instances where it's other stuff, so I don't know. Yeah, I I think, I guess when it's more incidental, that makes me ask more, that makes me ask more questions, and if it felt more uh, integral to the character, I guess. Yeah, I getcha. Yeah, like, if... Maybe if we saw him transforming more, then it's like, that's his thing. I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Let's talk some about the music. Um, So the songs were composed by TJ Kuenster. I'm not entirely sure how you say his name. It's K-U-E-N-S-T-E-R. And little fun fact is that the background vocals on the Owl songs, We Hate the Sun, Tweedledee, and the Owl's Picnic, are all sung by him as triple tracked. Nice. <laughs> He's just like, has three different tracks of him doing harmonies with himself in the background. Even Tim Campbell? No. no. The the songwriter himself. Oh, TJ okay. Kunster. Oh, like, Okay. He's he's the background owls basically. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Um, but then yes, all the all the other songs. Well, there is a song in the credits that's sung by um, uh, Phil Harris, who voices Patu. I I, th- I guess I didn't mention it because it feels like it's super obvious. But you guys know Pat Harris, Phil Harris, right? I mean, yeah, from um from um wait, was it Jungle Book or Jungle, yeah, Jungle Book, Book and, and, and whatever? Yeah, yeah, and Robin Hood. Yeah. Or he yeah. plays two different bears. Um, yeah. So it's it's him who does that. But he sings the song in the credits. But then outside of that, all the songs are sung by Glenn Campbell. Oh, sorry. And also Ellen Green gets a solo song that we barely hear. Like it cuts it off immediately. Yeah. You can hear the whole thing if you buy the soundtrack off of a site because you're not going to be, you're going to have to physically buy that soundtrack. You better believe that is not on Spotify. <laughs> um, but uh, her, her, the whole song is cute. I don't know. I didn't remember that they cut it off so quickly. And then she uh, duets with Glenn Campbell on Kiss and Coo because mm. it's a and duet. Does, does uh, Christopher Plummer sing any of his? Well, yeah, we he's the sun? yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on he's on We Hate the Sun and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say because he has a really good voice too. Yeah, he doesn't really use it to sing though, does he? I know, which surprises me because I mean uh, Christopher Plummer, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Sound of Music. He played the um, the captain that oh, sure. uh, that uh, Julie Andrews is in love with, and so yeah, I he, he has the, a good voice. I wonder if that that was a, a conscious decision on his point yeah, part or because, someone I mean, else's. Yeah, I don't know. He has a he has a great voice. Yeah, it's a choice. Hmm. Um, but yeah, what do we think of the music? Wish I could have heard more of it. Sure, do wish I that it know. wasn't being talked over so much. What what I did hear, I really enjoyed. I, I liked not only. The singing when I could hear it, but I also liked the beats, the 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 music. It, it was just very fun, and even and I absolutely loved also the "We Hate the Sun," um, you know, with the organ and all of that was was just great. Yeah, I think uh, I'm glad it was as musical as it was. I think it fit even the little kind of interlude stuff. It didn't drag it down. I think. Yeah, they're like all the little interlude songs are so like tiny that it's. Hard to be mad at them, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, we we hate the sun. Oh, the bouncer song is is one of the only ones that isn't the owls, uh, Tweedledee, and the owls picnic. Yeah, the, those frogs are funny. I don't really <laughs> like that song that much, but it was still kind of funny. Yeah, the bouncer song is very forgettable, but the it's it's funny that they are like prancing around singing it. Yeah, funny little guys. Funny big guys. I <laughs> just uh, but yeah, just just buff. Frog bouncers. I guess we haven't really talked about it, but I do find the size differentials between these characters very interesting. Yeah. Like, especially, like, uh, Pinky is really big. And, like, that's super obvious when he, when Shauna Claire is standing next to him. Because Shauna Claire's, like, a relatively tall guy, but compared to Pinky, he looks tiny. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's very, it's, it's interesting how they, how they do that. Yeah, and oh, sorry, and I won't give away spoilers, uh, but the size differential, um, there were some times when the Duke really transformed, almost gave me vibes of Little Mermaid and sure, um, yeah. uh, Ursula, you know, her becoming huge and stuff. For, for vibes also, the frogs reminded me, I think, a bit of Thumbelina. Mm. Those designs. Oh, sure, yeah, similar yeah. Similar whenever you see the other frogs. Yeah, with the, yeah, like the overall design and with like the warts and stuff all over. Yeah, not not Lumpy. exactly the same, but. <laughs> yes, yeah, not exactly, but I can see what you're talking about. Yeah. Let's go on to the part that our podcast is named after. How's it hold up? Uh, so to avoid a potential PG rating, Bluth edited out the showing of the Duke's skunk pie, where he like tries to eat a pie that has a skunk character in it. My understanding is that the skunk still escapes from it, but I guess that was too harrowing. So the pie is not seen in full view in the final version of the film. Uh, the animators also had to replace Chanticle- Chanticleer's glass of wine with a transparent cup of soda in the kiss and coo sequence so sure. that there's not alcohol use. Uh, and then, like I mentioned, they drew colored effects into the Grand Duke's breath to make that less scary. And then, of course, we have the narration that's added. And the narration is like the single biggest thing that makes this not hold up because it's infuriating. <laughs> like, there's two ideal cuts of this movie. The easier one to do is to just slap the album versions of the songs on top of the scene, the the scenes with the music so that you just don't hear Patu talk <laughs> on over the actual music. Um, and then the better one is find your original version of the film that you had guys with before you stuck the narration in there and please give us that. Oh my gosh. But you know. Yeah, like we, like we mentioned, there's like some fat chicken ladies that are obviously kind of like supposed to be funny because they're fat ladies. Goldie's waist is way too thin. That's something that's true in a lot of movies of this era, unfortunately. Yeah, but this is, like you said, specifically inspired Specifically Jessica by... Rabbit yeah. inspired. Uh, she's definitely nowhere near as thick as Jessica Rabbit and... Her area, you know, like she's got a thin waist, but like it's not like her chest or hips are massive, right? But again, they took the cleavage out, they, they could, did, like, but even if the line had been there, it wasn't like huge, you know what I'm sure, saying? But no, they definitely minimize it, but even if it hadn't been minimized, it was never that big, <laughs> but you know, that's cool. Yeah, I don't know anything else for you guys in here. Um, I guess I'm curious what time period this is supposed to be set in. Specifically the live action stuff. Well, if it was supposed to be black and white, it sounds like it was supposed... Like, well, I guess probably 50s, right? Like, right? Where... They've, they've... Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, the the truck that was older that would probably really give you a time, at least the earliest it could have been. Yeah. Other than on a farm, a lot of times they keep old cars for a farm and old trucks. True, yeah. but, but you look at like still, the TV and the, and the um the b- trailer and stuff like that. The boys yeah. were looking or listening to something about the storm. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, they were like listening to a radio, which mm, that's true. Like kids in the eighties or nineties, like are going to be watching a TV, you know. So yeah, I think and you're probably have, right. Yeah, and they that did they're have aiming an old for fifties, kind of yeah, radio. Yeah, and he's like, here's some weird toys that are probably from an older oh, time. Right. Right? I know. Seriously, what? I mean, we're never going to be okay with the clown. No, never, never. <laughs> the clown doesn't hold up. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh, that was terrifying. Because it was big. It was way too big of a clown. Oh, oh. Sorry. The biggest obvious thing that doesn't hold up is Snipes as a character. Throw him out. Oh, <laughs> yes. Like, he's not funny. It's not cute to make one of your main characters quirky trait that he is misogynistic. That's not cute. Get him out of here. Yeah, literally one of the first things he says is, you know, to um, the little mouse is... You know, go home, be a mouse wife, and make your cheese. Yep. I mean, it's like... <laughs> yeah. That's literally what he says. I know! He's awful. Like, he, he's awful, like, e- even without that, because, like, he literally just causes problems and is annoying. But then you add that on top, and he's just, like, purely terrible all the way down. He does not hold up. Throw him out of this movie, please. Yeah. Let's go on to our... Spoiler alert! So, in the spoiler, so like uh, one of you mentioned, I think Valerie was uh, mentioning that they um, go back and they try to uh, save Peepers, who has already saved herself, and then they all get into uh, Pinky's plane and they fly away and they fly back to the farm so then we have our final confrontation at the farm the batteries run out for the animals that had been left there so they're about to be devoured (laughs) but then the lights of the plane go on and they scare the owls off and then we have our final confrontation which actually probably would have been one a lot easier if it weren't for the fact that hunch actually gets a win for once through his ineptitude, he tries to attack them within the plane and causes an accident involving a fire extinguisher that takes the plane out, basically, and makes them crash. And it's actually, like, the only thing that he does in the whole movie that is successfully, like, causes big problems for our hero. So good job, man. So they crash, and then they have to... to deal with the duke uh chanticleer is finally regaining consciousness he at one point is like who are you <laughs> to, yeah. to edmund which is really funny because yeah they've never met yeah. um but um but then he he's feeling down on himself i guess he can't crow even though he's been singing it's not the same it's different enough the usage of his voice so he can't do a crow anymore he keeps trying and won't come out and the duke's like no i couldn't help but just overhearing that does sound like you're having voice problems uh you know in his way uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so you know final confrontation thing uh the duke uses his magic to choke out a child and ostensibly maybe kill him except for the fact that he's breathing but he's unconscious at least and like laying on a plane 
to come back to later once the villain's defeated. So Chanticleer keeps trying to do his stuff and everyone starts chanting for him, starting with Patu. Um, well, yeah, it started with Edmund. Well, yeah, it started with Edmund. That's why he got choked out. Yeah. And then when Patu sees that Edmund's, like, you know, all, all hurty, he's, he's like, now I'm going to say it. And then he's like, it's a, bit, it's a bad move, dog. Don't you do that. But he keeps doing it. And then all the others start doing it. And so he gets really, uh, the, the Duke gets really annoyed and he uses his magic to turn himself into a tornado to try to destroy all of them. The tree, part of the tree comes down again over Chanticleer and it looks a lot like the part of the tree that broke into the window at the beginning of the movie. Uh, and then the flood comes in and it goes over Chanticleer and he's going to maybe die. But then he smiles because he's had some sort of epiphany from all the voices, I guess, that we could hear in his head. And then he can crow again. And so he, like, flies up out of the thing and he does his crow. And it makes the sun come back up, which for some reason makes the tornado start spinning in reverse. And then the Duke gets shrunk down to a little bitty guy. Um, and his nephew takes advantage of that to try to slap him with a fly swatter and they run off into the distance. And then everyone's like, oh no, Edmund died. Um, and so they're all sad around him. Um, and then he turns his, his body, his cat body turns into his little boy body. Uh, and then, and then Peepers goes up and she's like going, Edmund, Edmund. And then that tra- transitions into his mom's voice saying it. And we're back in live action times and it's morning. And the mom's like, Hey, I don't forget what she says. She's like, she's like, yo, you're awake. Uh, and, and he looks outside the window, which you can see the window is visible, visibly damaged. Um, and he looks outside and there his, uh, dad and brothers are like fixing stuff out there or whatever. And then I forget how we transition to he's he's back with the animated creatures and they're all singing a reprise of Sun Do Shine um, that he's horribly fit into. Um, it doesn't look very good, but they have a final dance Performance. song number. Um, and uh, Gold Goldie has a really cute farm outfit. It's so cute. It's so cute. Um, <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, even the proportions that we talked about, like, um, they have Edmund, the, the little boy Edmund, be smaller than the dog and other animals, which is just very weird. And then trying, sitting on a fence. And again, it's just not even sitting on it well. Uh, yeah. And, and is, it looks bad. Out like, yeah, it looks but really bad. What I really want to talk about is, is two main things. So first, I want to attack it from the more positive, what I think is interesting angle, which is, I think, you can easily read all of this as being stuff he imagined in his head while he was knocked out. Uh, like the, the branch crashes through, knocks this child out, and he experiences this whole adventure in his head. Uh, and then he wakes up, his mom's, uh, doesn't he have a bandage or something on him too, I think? Uh, but he's, he wakes up, he's, he's all right. Um, it was all a dream. And I think parts of what uh, the finale that uh, emphasized that for me is part of the tree coming down again that looks exactly like the tree that got him and also the Duke transforming into a, into a tornado. Now, we never, I think, explicitly hear his parents or anything say that there is a tornado. There's just a storm. But I think it's reasonable to think that a tornado was in the vicinity at that time with this whole storm going on, you know, or at the very least, it is just indicative of 
storm wet sure. type weather, you know? Yeah. So the Duke becomes an embodiment of the weather that set this all off, you know? And I, I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. That symbolism with the tornado and everything. Yeah, I mean, you have the... Uh, a bit of an allusion to Wizard of Oz with the Definitely. in one place having an adventure somewhere else and then coming back to the the original your your home your real life and then talking about oh they wanted it to be in black and white i don't i don't know if like the the i guess the characters in the book not existing as a uh inspiration for the characters that he dealt with rather than mapping real people to that um yeah but, it's not like uh little nemo where there's clear analogs in the waking and the dream world yeah, or whatever yeah. but it's just a story he was being told yeah i mean i guess that is a fine enough way to explain it rather than the uh the duke's magic like going into the real world as well yeah like i i guess that's that's fine um but then also we need to talk about sean declares what's happening at the end okay he can't crow sure i get it even though i he's been using his voice enough i feel like you can make a leap to crow easier than he does but whatever but like what what happens underwater that makes any change happen? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's stuck in the ground underwater being menaced by owls. And then he just smiles and he's figured something out and it's good. Like, what happened? What What's happened here? Here's here's my take. All right. His smile is that he realizes he's underwater and, and the, the, the dirt mound that he's buried in is breaking up and he can get free. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, still doesn't explain how he's now able to crow, but that gives me a little something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the, you know, you're, you're missing the scene where he's telling you how he feels uh, like mm-hmm. that he can't do it anymore. You're missing Edmund meeting Chanticleer, asking for his help, and then Chanticleer kind of refusing the call, and then... Yeah. And then Edmund getting hurt, and he's like, I can't do it, I told you. Uh, but but then he has to. Yeah. Like, the, you're not, like, you're, you're missing that bigger dip. Yeah, exactly. There's just not, there's just ultimately not enough there to have Chanticleer have an arc. And so it's like, don't, don't try. Like, have, if you want to have this final confrontation and he can't, crow and he's just trying the whole time have something hit him in the windpipe and so he's just having trouble like having it be a character thing just doesn't work when you don't spend the time making that be established you know like there's nothing that really shows us before he starts saying sorry guys i can't do it anymore that he can't crow anymore he just left because he was sad about the sun situation and he's depressed. And he's like, oh, I can sing as the blues now. And it's like, that doesn't mean anything. Okay, well, here is, is a stretch. I mean, it means he's sad, but I mean, you know. No, well, he was saying the blues because he didn't have his friends and he was lonely. Yeah. And so them all chanting his name, realizing that they believed in him 
and, and and he wasn't alone or whatever, I think brought him back, but they just didn't establish that strong enough. They didn't, because they, what they hadn't established before is that he was so devastated that no one, that, that his friends didn't give him the benefit of the doubt and didn't believe in him, that they were making fun of him or joining in on those that were making fun of him for not really bringing up the sun, you know, and not really valuing him. And so I think everyone chanting Chanticleer at the end, but it just, it just, they hadn't established it well enough at the beginning of the movie to really make that. The whole sun thing is also just really confusing because it's like, okay, he doesn't, he doesn't crow. So, but then the sun does come up, which is like, okay, so the sun doesn't rely on him, except then apparently the sun does just decide, oh, I'm sad that he's not here, so I'm not going to come out. I like, don't know, yeah. It's just kind of weird how yeah. any of that's framed. The inciting event isn't clear. And I feel like Patu's narration tries to explain it, but it didn't say anything that helped me understand why this is happening the way it is anymore. Another yeah. alternative is there. you have that initial song, and he 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 does his crooning enough, like the rock-a-doodle, but he says it in a way that is like, the crowing. And then in his other performances, there is a, a line that could lead up to that, but he chooses not to, or he, he can't do it. Something stops him. Or, or in addition to that, you have Pinky coaching him on what to sing or how to sing it and pushing him away from that by like, you can't do that. Like, you're not capable of it. So you have his you have his agent, who is an underling of the Duke, actively deterring him from it by making himself conscious and not confident in it. So yeah, you have him do that, and that kind of builds into, if even if he himself doesn't have that confidence, something was, was tearing him down. And so then he has to, you know, get back up. Yeah, I think it's just, it's difficult to have two characters that are ostensibly supposed to have strong character arcs because they're the main characters, except that Chanticleer just really isn't the main character. Like, he's important in the beginning and and the end and, like, for the reason that they're doing stuff in the middle, but he doesn't actually, like, go on an interesting arc. Like he's not in a lot of the movie. He's on the sides of a lot of the movie, but then the main arc for Edmund is also not like that great. He just kind of has a moment where he's stuck in his own head and is, I mean, honestly, their, their moments of clarity basically happen the same way, just with slightly different visual language, (laughs) but they both hear uh, echoes of quotes said in their past in their head and then have a moment of of clarity and make a decision to do stuff. I I don't know that works for Edmund because like he literally just decided to turn around and go and go uh, drive the car. Like sure, but I don't know exactly how that makes Chanticleer able to crow when he physically didn't seem to be able to do it before. I guess it's supposed to be related to his emotion, but then it feels like, yeah, they're all chanting his name and building him up. But then a bunch of stuff happens with the Duke turning huge and the water covering him and stuff. So like there's a disconnect between the thing that's supposed to bring his spirits up and him actually doing a thing. And then he has like his smile, like something just changed. And like, I don't know what changed. It just doesn't, it just doesn't quite line up. Like I can see the ideas, but the execution just doesn't 
happen very smoothly. Yeah, I think maybe making a stronger parallel between Edmund and Chanticleer. Yeah, so that they, if they had something of a similar arc, so that you get the main meaty arc with Edmund, but since there's a clear parallel, you understand what Chanticleer's is. Exactly. Yes, that's that would be the way to do it, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, like, you didn't have them meet, so that makes it, you, you close off one avenue for that motivation as well. He's like, who are you? And it's like, okay, maybe he's sad this kid is dead or hurt or whatever, but... Yeah, I think you could easily make it have stronger parallels by having a little bit more live action in the beginning and having, like, his brothers talking down to him or something or making him feel insignificant and, and, and not appreciated in a way that then ties into the same way that the animals are laughing at Chanticleer. Yeah. So that there's that, that clear, uh, self-deprecation within both of them. Yeah. That you can, yeah. See, it's not even like that hard to fix. No. Like the, I, the bones are there to make this like a solid mid-range movie instead of not quite that. (laughs) It's a bummer. It, it's, yeah, I don't know. The end is is fine enough. Like, I certainly the imagery of of the Duke choking out a child and turning into a big tornado. Like, you know, that's stuck in child me's mind and stuff. But, like, none of it, it just doesn't end in a super satisfying way. Yeah. I don't, this isn't really spoilers. But I, I will say, a lot of the time, to- I feel like sometimes we... Talk about what can be improved and stuff like that. Uh, but I do want to say, like, the music is really good. Yeah. The uh, animation with Chanticleer as as Elvis, kind of his vibe, his movements, stuff like that. It's on point. Like, there are good things in this film. That's 100%. For sure. It just feels like a film that needed a little more money and time to kind of nail it. Like, a little bit more money and, and expertise to shoot some more live action scenes to set up a better arc for Edmund. Yeah. And, and maybe uh, another small scene here or there in the animated part to have more connective tissue. Like, just, just a little bit more. Uh, and that could really, like, bump this up. Like, a full, like star rating or something you know like to just to make it more solid than it manages to be and then also the narration bad choice terrible hate it yeah remove a character you know who yes remove a character you know who any other spoilers no more spoilers let's go on to our favorites and least favorites what was your least favorite scene in the movie oh i'm gonna say in spoilers and it was not a good in- integration of live action and animation. Oh, sure. I'm going to say when the uh, evil bird, the mean bird fights Chanticleer, because it's like, where did this even come from? And then you're being told everything. And it's like, uh, Just being okay. like talked over the whole time, but the talking isn't really helping clarify anything. <laughs> no, no. It came out of nowhere. And it's like the Duke. And it's like, who's the Duke? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. That Cause one. it's like, then when the mom says it just a little bit later, there's a picture of the Duke. Like you get to see what he looks like. Cause they go out of the book and then Edmund's like, Oh, who's this or whatever. And taps him. And like, then she talks about who the Duke is, but hearing his name before that, like, it, I don't know what that means. Yeah. You say he's a bad guy. I don't know him though. The narration's terrible. Yeah, I guess that combined with it saying, you know, oh, he did, but the bad bird did what he wanted and Chanticleer didn't crow and the sun came up anyway. Like, all that stuff. 
Um, my least favorite narration bit, though, I do have to say is uh, spoiling Goldie's arc. Thanks for that. Uh, but my actual least favorite is like a fairly small and substantial, but just kind of really irritates me, which is they're like hiding under one of the trailers or whatever. And Snipes is misogynist again. And and Peepers is like angry about it. And then the scene's done. And it's just like, it's so nothing. It's like he said a sexist thing and she was mad about it. And that was the end of the scene. Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> Uh, it's like there's wacky bit back and forth, but it's right. not wacky. He's a- antagonizing her in a really pointed and and bigoted way, and she's responding with frus- understandable frustration. Like there's nothing comedic about this. No, no, yeah, but like, oh, but that's the joke because women are emotional, right? right? Like it's whatever. It's awful. What was your favorite scene in the movie? My favorite, I basically have already said, I enjoy the whole car chase scene. Uh, I enjoy the stuff before that also, but like, if I'm going to be a little more specific, the whole car chase scene, once that car starts a going and all that stuff, I, I enjoy that stuff a lot. I, uh, one of the things that was funny is Hunch kind of reporting into his, into the Duke about what's going on. And my favorite one was when he was doing embroidery. Yes. Um, I forget what it said, but, uh, but like the, the, the little kind of characterful moments of, of like little nonsense. Was Hunch even in that? Mm-hmm. I think that was, was when he was on the. Pr- it was like a frog. Yeah, I think he was just on a call to Pinky. Oh, it was to Pinky. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, yeah, yeah, you're right. There was like a little it, frog creature. Yes, yes. But, but yes, like I scenes where the, like the, the Duke was, uh, uh, it, like on one scene when Hunch reported in, he was cooking, but in this one, Pinky's calling and he was doing embroidery. So there's yeah. little scenes where he's getting info from his agents. Yeah, and that one was my favorite. No, it's it's a really fun way to keep the main villain in the movie without him like being in the scenes in a significant way. But the, it's all of all of the stuff with the Duke is just really fun. <laughs> My actually favorite is going to be um, something that you've been kind of mentioned in that is when the Duke is cooking, because I also love the um, um, the nephew's uh, mess up with saying um, an adequate instead of yeah, yeah, instead of instead of, you know, an aqueduct, because there's a there's a Mel Brooks's movie, Young Frankenstein, and Eeyore goes he was supposed to get his his mission is to go get a brain and he gets a brain and he's like you know you know where where you know what was the name of the brain what was a because he dropped it he dropped the brain that was einstein or somebody and anyway and so he was like it was abby he's like abby abby normal and so it so he had got an abnormal brain and so it was just kind of the same play on kind of that but anyway but what made that say that that is what I loved about the scene is, yes, him having, ultimately, you know, the nephew's going to be in trouble and he's beckoning him so sweetly, like you said, to come over. And then when he puts him in the pot, again, I love the, the leaning on and it's just like, should I, you know, um, you know, is it murder if I kill my nephew or is it, you know, what is it? Charity. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just loved it. Loved it. Who was your least favorite character? Snipes. Snipes. So easy at Snipes. Snipes. Who is your favorite character? Now, this is kind of actually hard for me. This is tough. This is kind of difficult for me. This is tough, but I think I will... I'm going to go ahead and say I loved Christopher... um, 
Plummer's, you know, portrayal of the Duke was just awesome. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree. Like, his motivation was pretty clear, even if the story didn't, like, clarify that intro very well. You knew what he was about. Yeah, I agree. Here's my top three. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy Hunch a lot. Um, he's... He's just awful and inept, but he's also so sure of himself, and he's just a Looney Tune character in the background of stuff happening. He'll just do it to himself, and it's... I enjoy his his shtick. I could easily see how it would be annoying to people, but It was I, annoying to me, but... <laughs> but I enjoy him. In the car chase, he had a lot of Darla Dimple energy trying to get them. <laughs> Truly. Then, number two is Peepers... Uh, cause she's great. So she's so capable, capable, like the most capable of the, of the heroes. Um, and she's cute and she's fun. Uh, and the number one is actually a cheat cause it's two characters. <laughs> it's Goldie and the Duke of Owls. I can't choose between them. I love them so much. <laughs> Ellen Green's performance as Goldie is mwah. And Christopher Plummer's performance of the Grand Duke of Owls is also what? Yeah, I just four. I love them. Yes, yeah, it was yes, four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I could have announced that at the beginning, but unlike Patu, I understand how it can be fun to wait a little bit and have a little surprise. <laughs> so silly. Um, I I really I like a lot of the characters in this, except for the one that I hate, and then the one that I think is fine, which is Patu. He's okay. What about Edmund? He's, yeah, he's fine. I think he's a solid mid-range. Like, I don't love him, but he's cute. The voice actor does a cute job. Yeah, he does a good job. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I really like Pinky also. He's a great secondary antagonist. I, I like a lot of the characters. It's only barely unbalanced by frickin' Snipes. <laughs> this movie was a musical. What was your least favorite song? I think it would be easy to say tie in your shoes, which is the song that's midway through the credits. But we've in previous episodes talked about how it's sort of a cheat to do a song that only appears midway through the credits. Yeah. If it's like the opening credit song, like that's a little more. But like, no, uh, half of the people watching aren't even going to hear tie in your shoes. So I don't think I'm going to do that. And I mean, tie in your shoes is a fine song. I just don't really care about it. <sighs> but I think... I think I'd probably do the bouncer song. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I agree. You like, I'm this. glad it's there because it's just silly. But, like, I don't care enough to listen to it. And, I mean, I think I think to a pretty real extent, We Hate the Sun, Tweedledee-Dee, and The Owl's Picnic are not, like, great songs. Especially We Hate the Sun has, a, like, just too much talking rather than singing. But then the end of it does have a, a fun melody thing, and the little melodies of Tweedly D and Owl's Picnic are also f fun. And it's just fun that the villains are just sing-mocking these characters that they're about to devour. Like, yeah, so I can't... I have to put Bouncer's song. What was your favorite song? In, in a way, a bit, it's hard to say, not being able to fully hear some of them. Very true. But I, I'll go with Kiss and Coo, just because it's both uh, Campbell and Green. Um, I do really like that one. So that's what I'll say. Mine might just have to be Rockadoodle. I really, I think that's the one that I, uh, I mean, I really enjoyed, like you said, you know, Sunday Shine, all of those. But again, some of them were obscured. Um, but Rockadoodle's but I, the one that he's, that we first hear him singing when he's 
doing his Elvis stuff. Yeah, and that's where I think I was kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, but I also really like Back to the Country. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm still going to go with the Rockadoodle because I, I just, I that's, you know, I just loved that Elvis vibe of his. And, and he was just really strong singing. And, yeah, I don't know. But I, to be honest, there isn't a lot of difference between some of the ones that he sang because I, I really did enjoy them, like Sundew Shine, you know, the um, and Treasure Hunting, and and I did really like Kiss and Coo and Back to the Country. So I'm going to show my hand again. My top three <laughs> of the song. I I like this movie way more than I should. My top three songs are Rock a Doodle, then. Treasure Hunt and Fever. And then maybe less surprising this time, but my top, my number one is two different songs, which is <laughs> Kiss and Coo and Sundew Shine. <laughs> uh, I really, really love Kiss and Coo. Uh, wish that Patu let me hear more of it. And Sundew Shine is just so catchy yeah. and like works so yeah. well as the opening song that I wish Patu would let me hear more of. Um, and also as like a, a coming in again at the end of the, ah, everything's good now. Like it works both as an ending and a, opening and an ending for the movie and it's just really catchy uh so yeah i like both of them if tim curry were in this movie who would he play man see this is a hard one because he would make a great grand duke but christopher, but christopher Palmer Palmer's was also incredible so i know so i would not want to get rid of christopher and i don't think Palmer. you can replace pinky you either because yeah. it's the southern part of it yeah. that really yeah. sells it. this is because like he could do either character well but like something would be lost because it would just be so different. Like he'd do a great job, but the other two also you. do such a good job. I know. No, I, you I can't replace don't... Phil Harris either. Cause he, I, I think he's just got that inherent sort of warmth. And especially he's also just got the nostalgia bonus of like being blue yeah. and little John, you know, out of it. What if he was a, a hunch? <laughs> <laughs> No, I love yeah. Charles Nelson Riley there too. That's my favorite Don Bluth Charles Nelson Riley role. Yeah, bro. like obvious. I love him in All Dogs, but I I, yeah. I love Hunch. Uh, but no, Tim Curry. I don't think Get I out can, of this movie. Tim I don't Curry. think I can fit him in there. Maybe just a small cameo as the dad in the live action. Wouldn't that be so funny? He like so comes weird. in, he's got the hood on, and he takes it down. It's Tim Curry. Yeah. That'd be so baffling. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, Tim Curry, why didn't you use Tim Curry's voice in here? And then you're just like, oh, yeah, because you have Christopher Plummer. Yeah, right. And, you know, but, but seriously. I really but, don't know how to slot him in here, honestly. No. The, the, it, the, this movie has issues, but I think the voice cast is not one of them. No. Mm-mm. And you've got some heavy hitters. You do. I mean, oh, my gosh. You really do. And even Sandy Duncan. I mean, Sandy yeah. Duncan is amazing. And what if Tim Curry's a, a third-person narrator? It's not Patu. <laughs> it's just somebody else. What if Tim Curry is a new character no. that is pasted over Snipes? Oh. <laughs> and it's better than Snipes in every way. Really? That's perfect. <laughs> yes. What if yes. he's still kind of like Snipes with Peepers some, but it's like a clear... They like each other, but they also have this antagonistic thing going on. Like, I don't even mean like each other romantically, but like they're clearly they're friends, they're, they're yeah. clearly friends, but they have this like back yeah, and, and forth. even a competition. Like, I'm smarter than you. I can figure this See, out yeah, faster like or that, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, if, so if we just get like get back in the movie, so if we yeah. just like fully rewrote and reanimated and cut multiple scenes and put a new character in there. That's where he'll Voiced be. by yes. Tim Curry. Yes. Yeah. Then yeah. You, you can easily slot him in there. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let's go on to our overall consensus and what we would rate it. All right. Um, do I recommend this film? I think I recommend the soundtrack. That's what I recommend because the music is very good. I would recommend the film more if you could hear those songs without the narration over it. They, because they like they lower the songs, and you kind of have to uh, ignore Patu uh, because what he says does not matter. So may, maybe a light recommendation for the movie, but I enjoyed it overall. I like I said, I'd seen it before. I think I was gonna. I think I'll give it a uh, yeah. I'll give this movie a a two. I would like to give it higher if I could hear the songs more uh, with a light recommendation. I am going to go 2.75. I do recommend it. And here's why I'm rating it so high is because I just think you had some incredible voice acting and, and characters. I mean, you just Christopher Plummer as the Duke was just amazing and, you know, Charles Nelson Riley. I mean, you just had some really good performances in here. Sandy Duncan. Um, and so they were solid. The, the songs were great. Yes, it was very frustrating that, you know, you had the narrator talking over a lot of them. But they were still great songs. Um, so I, because I guess my best comparison being in on are All Dogs Go to Heaven, I would enjoy watching this more, even though I do enjoy all dogs, you know, have nostalgia for that. So yeah, I'm just going to go 2.75 and I do, I do recommend. Honestly, way higher than I expected you. I'm going to give it, I, I, I was saying it in a part that's going to be cut, but I do want to just mention that all dogs go to heaven was reviewed early in the podcast at a time where our kind of ideas of the ratings were less set. And I, I gave it a two. And nowadays I, I feel pretty confident. I'd probably give it like a 2.5. Like I think it, it deserves a little higher than I rated it. That said, just for a little bit of context, um, between like enjoyable, but flawed Don Bluth movies, I would give rock a doodle a two, but if it was a cut without that narration, if it was a cut without that narration only on the songs, it'd be a 2.5. And if it was a cut without the narration at all, 2.75. It's indulgent. It's indulgent from me because I have so much nostalgia. It is probably more than even a version without the narration deserves. But I do like it a lot. I do like this movie a lot. So that's what I'm going to say. I definitely recommend Like You got to see it. It's so weird. You have to <laughs> yeah. watch it and like <laughs> see if the, the specific brand of weird it is resonates with you, you know, and it might not, you might just bounce right off of it. Cause it's not going to be for everybody, but I think a certain type of person like me, it's going to just hit, you know, even if you don't have nostalgia, you might just be like, 
This is the type of weird I like. Honestly, so give it a try. And the music is is good. The music is really fun. Like I mean, album. It's, it's just a, it's just a bunch of like solid like Elvis like tunes. You know, it's fun. Yeah, and I I'm not saying that it that it it deserves the two point seven five I gave it, but I you know you're just, talking what you and yeah felt. Be, well because you had such great performances. You and really I do. Really do admire that. And and if nothing else, almost their characterization again of the Duke just mm, if just you such ha- a great if you great had a character. cut of this movie that removed all the narration. And somehow removed Snipes and <laughs> oh, be a solid yes. three. Solid yes, three. Yes. <laughs> She's yes. getting further and further <laughs> yes. away. My ideal version of this very yes, flawed film. Yes, yes. And if you, like we talked about, like did those tweaks to actually like have the arcs hit a little stronger. I think this film has had the potential to be a 3.5. I think that's I think that's the highest it probably could have gotten. Realistically, if everything had aligned a bit better, you'd had that other guy film the live action stuff, so that was a little more engaging. Like if the stars aligned to make this just that much better, I still think the highest it's gonna go is a 3.5. But if you add Tim Curry as an alternate (laughs) character, that's a five. (laughs) That's a perfect film. Don't you like y'all how we're rewriting this? But you know, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, watch there it. You, there you go. Imagine a perfect. Watch it and her. imagine what could be. <laughs> Thank you all very much for listening. Thank, Thank you all so much, and I would love for you all to join me any Wednesday at seven p.m. on Twitch, um, watching Nana Critter. N-A-N-A-C-R-I-T-T-E-R. Um, and I am playing Final Fantasy IX, and I'm doing voices. It's my first playthrough, so I have a lot of surprise. And these wonderful ladies will be in the chat. We're super friendly. So come on by any Wednesday at 7 p.m. And next time, we will start our 2023 holiganza. Um, which we will hopefully, ladies, please help me, remember to mention <laughs> that is unlike, <laughs> unlike our Spooktober, which we Spookaboo. <laughs> unlike our Spookaboo, which we almost entirely forgot to actually mention on the episodes where it was relevant. Anyways, Holiganza 2023, it's coming up. We're gonna have three movies. We're gonna have a movie that we're gonna do next week, and then the other two are more like specials more than like full-fledged movies but we're gonna we got some stuff coming up and 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 the one that we got coming up next week is is it's it's another it's an animated movie that has a person who's more well known for for live action uh voicing the main character is i guess what i'll say do you have anything else that i should uh insinuate it with babe oh oof uh, oof uh you know, there'll be more songs, right? <laughs> and there'll be, you know, this is on Comedy Central. How about that? So join us then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Love y'all. Bye. This has been How's It Hold Up with Danica Juarez and Jan James. You can find our podcast on Twitter at How's It Hold Up Pod. That's with each word capitalized and no apostrophe. Also, if you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash user question mark U equals two seven nine 
1-800-242-0566. Every little bit helps, and even with a minimum pledge, you get access to things you won't hear in our main podcast feed. Check it out for more info. The two pieces of music used in this episode were created by Kevin McLeod. You can find both The Curtain Rises and Cool Cats at incomptech.com. That's I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H.com. Both songs were licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. More info on that can be found at http colon slash slash creativecommons.org slash licenses slash by slash 3.0. Thanks for listening. We'll get a drink and talk about it. <laughs> Make it harder for you to tell where to cut. No, babe, you will be able to tell immediately. I don't know why I am talking like this. <laughs> I'm becoming more and more of a bra. How are you doing? <laughs> it's nice to meet you. <laughs> so silly.